Do we get mulligans for recording a podcast? Like, <laughs> <laughs> you mean do we still get extra credit if we tried? <laughs> <laughs> you know, we we should record like, oh my god, the gain is terrible. We should record like a backup episode where it's just like, man, if there's a week where you know someone how someone's house burns down and we don't want to let everyone know, just like send out the extra episode oh in the background, uh, and it'll be fun. It'll be great. I see. Uh, it looks like only two people have the show notes open. Tony. Yeah. <laughs> I invented show notes. <laughs> don't don't quote me on the uh, on the ancient teachings. I was there when they were written. <laughs> uh, so, uh, Stadia has six free games, fourteen forty p, and wireless PC control support. What's Stadia? <laughs> Haven't heard of it. So Stadia is um, <laughs> finally starting to roll out some of its features. Is it really? That it uh, promised, or some of them. I mean, so originally they promised up to 4K uh, in HDR, and so far it's only been up to 1080p, and now they've upped it to 1440p, which is like an intermediary step between mm-hmm. HD and 4K. Um. And wireless uh, con- connectors with the, uh, what am I saying? Uh, good morning. <laughs> and good wireless morning, America. <laughs> and wireless connection of the Stadia controller when you're playing on your computer, which was something that was glaringly missing and, you know, really annoying, especially if you're, like, part of the, part of the target audience for Stadia, of course, is people without a powerful gaming machine. Uh, so... A particularly good audience for that would be people using like really slim laptops and like things like that for other reasons. And usually those devices, especially these days, don't have a lot of ports. So if your controller cannot be taking up one of your zero, one or two precious ports, that's um that's gonna make <laughs> a big difference for right for a lot of casual gamers. So Right. This is all this is all in the name of accessibility. Yeah, and also just, you know, delivering on the features. Also, uh, in this article, June will deliver six Stadia Pro games. Wow. No longer the two. No longer Farming Simulator. No longer Zombie, Zombie, Zombie 4, or whatever the hell was the last one. <laughs> um, and and it's, kind of, it's kind of interesting, because one of them is super hot. And I was like... I didn't even know you could play super hot not in VR. I don't know how that's going to work. <laughs> I'm going to be interested to try it out. Um I guess it's like more of a normal first person shooter. I don't know. I don't know what the value in playing that game not in VR is, but that's an interesting choice for sure. Have you guys ever played Super Hot? No. Yeah, I haven't. I, I haven't played it. I feel like I knew once upon a time that it's not necessary to have uh, VR to play it, um, which is why I think I was more inclined to play it. I just never got around to it, though. Uh, but I'm glad that it's going to hit Stadia, because uh, it will be the first time I own a copy of the game, and I can finally do this thing that I've been saying I would do forever. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Super Hot is, like, one of the... Up there with Beat Saber is, like, one of the two best VR games. Right. Right, right, right. In my opinion, and and I think in a lot of other people's opinion, like it just 
it suits the format so perfectly. Um, like it transports you into being like an, an action movie hero in a simple way. So great. Like, like it just, it does something very simple and it does it really well. So I don't know. I mean, it's, I'll, I'll get it. I'll give it a try. I'll see right. if it's like, not. it has an, hard. it has an objective that it seems to accomplish very uh, simply and intuitively. Yeah. The other games being Panzer Dragon Remake, which I've never heard of, Get Packed, Little Nightmares, <laughs> and Power Rangers colon, Battle for the Grid. Oh, now you're, you're talking. talking. <laughs> um, also, The Elder Scrolls Online, which I don't understand that one. I thought being an MMORPG, it was a subscription. So, again, I'll check that one out if i i mean the the funny thing I is i don't believe it's a subscription i i have played it before and i think you just have to buy like a like oh it's a one-time thing okay well then i yeah i guess you know free elder scrolls online uh which might be a funny thing to check out it does kind of suck though i i played it for like 10 minutes and i didn't it wasn't anything like the the non like the single player elder scrolls games um and it was kind of clunky uh, that's too bad yeah, I'm 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 trying to live update answers to these questions. Uh I I having wor- having worked at GameStop once upon a time, I am aware that Elder Scrolls Online was uh was sold like a normal game. Like you buy a case with a CD that costs 60 bucks and now you own the game. Um I always just assumed there was a subscription somewhere on the other side, either um Either either for the base game or more likely just for DLC something rather's, but uh, I never have a I never had a confirmation of that. I wouldn't be too surprised if it was just the one time purchase for an online game, uh, especially hearing that it's bet. Because <laughs> yeah, that's it's it's not good. Um, I I've never heard anything about a subscription for it. Uh, I'm trying I'm trying to get answers on the rest of these games here. Uh, do we have any insight on Panzer Dragoon remake? That sounds super familiar. Have um, let me Google that real quick. It's you know it's a, I'm looking at it and it's a game that I think was designed with uh, FPS uh, mentality, uh, except instead of a first person shooter where you're a guy with a gun, you're uh, you are or are it looks like you're riding a dragon and you shoot like dragon fireballs. Uh, and this might have been, I, I might be just conflating two very different things, uh, but at the very least, that's what this looks like. You have 360 controls, kind of like, it's kind of like Star Fox, uh, for, not that either of you have played Star Fox, who am I talking to? Um, <laughs> I played the Star Fox level in Super Smash Brothers 64, does that count? <laughs> that's, that's what I was gonna Ugh. say, I was gonna say, I played as Ugh. Star Fox. So anyway, um, uh, I'm looking up Panzer Dragoon. I've, I don't remember this game at all, but like I've definitely played it before. It's it's a, it's an older game. It looks like from the, from Sega. What is interesting is it doesn't look like it's out on Steam yet. Uh, it looks like it's already hit the Switch and consoles, but it has not reached Steam. So it's interesting that it's hitting Stadia before that. Yeah, I mean that's exactly what Google wants. They're um right. They're trying to establish themselves as a player by getting ahead on certain things. Uh I think we all wish that they got ahead on more things, but they're they're doing a little bit of that at least. <laughs> pa- Panzer Dragoon remake is the literal definition of baby steps. 
Right. <laughs> um, get packed. Anyone have any insight on this? No, nope. never even <laughs> yeah. heard of it. Uh, from a, a cursory glance, I'm gonna. I'm actually just gonna go ahead and assume it's by the same publisher as um, Overcooked. Just but, looking uh, at the art, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it, like I actually thought I went to the wrong site. Um, it looks like that is wrong. So now we have what I assume is just kind of something inspired by Overcooked to try and recapture the same. Uh, you know what? I'm going to use the word magic of Overcooked because Overcooked is kind of a wonderful game. Uh, it's very simple. It's not terribly deep, but it had a surprisingly engaging story in its opening cutscene and had really seamless gameplay, especially for co-op. So it looks like Get Packed is just trying to use that same mechanic, art style, and experience. Uh, but it's not a cooking game. It's a warehouse packing for deliveries game. I guess. Because, you know, that's what I... Anytime I have to move apartments, like, that's immediately my thought is, man, I wish I could do this more often. I wish I could be the guy before getting in the delivery truck who's loading the delivery (laughs) truck. Get Packed is developed by Moonshine Games, published by Kootsink, and available first on Stadia. Yeah, it's it's a Stadia exclusive. So, that are... Those are words. (laughs) It I don't will know. Only like, be available on Stadia for at least six months. Yeah, you don't want that uh, excitement to. I don't know. I've I have no excitement for this game. <laughs> well, the other thing is that it's designed to be a co-op game, one to four players in campaign mode and two to four players in competitive mode. So, mm-hmm. um, this is the first like real. I feel like the first actual like co-op game we're seeing on Stadia. I can't think of any others. I know there was that racing game which I never tried. Oh yeah. Which might have had co-op element, but this is like more of a like design towards co-op like overcooked kind of game which supposedly Stadia was, you know, that was going to be one of the core competencies because of all of its server power. This is a really small implementation of that, but it's something. Yeah, this 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 has demo written all over it and not just demo for the viewers to experience multiplayer on stadia but demo for stadia to see what the multiplayer experience will be like with feedback right so that's why you bought an additional controller with your founders edition right (laughs) additional (laughs) my god (laughs) all right little nightmares who's heard of this one nope uh fun fact I beat Little Nightmares. Oh, on Stadia? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, Stadia wishes. Uh, Sta- uh, Little Nightmares is a uh, is, is actually a horror game in the style of Inside. Oh, cool. Uh, Inside was kind of the very popular one, uh, but Little Nightmares was uh, very charming. Uh, you know, as charming as a horror game can be. Um, I, I I liked it a lot. It was a very short game. I wouldn't recommend spending a lot of money on it. Because it really only lasted me a couple of hours. I believe there is an expansion to Little Nightmares, but I never played it. Because I do remember when I played it, the story didn't quite uh, wrap up in a... I'm going to say satisfying way, but it really just didn't make sense. Um, I didn't quite uh, get a full picture of what was going on based on the ending. Um, And I do believe there is a DLC that answers more of those questions. Because uh, it apparently does have a fleshed-out lore, um, 
my only experience with it is just what the game shows you at a base level without looking into anything. Uh, there might be a comic book and other things elsewhere, but I didn't dive into any of that. Uh, in any case, if I, this is a very easy game to review. Uh, if you liked Inside, you'll like this game. It's perfectly good. I did good. like Inside, so... Yeah, a very, very, very pleasing game to play. Yeah, it's it's a game that definitely ends before I grew tired of it. And I feel like that was that was one of the highlights of the game. Inside, that... I, I don't remember if we ever talked about Inside on the show. That was a really great game. That was a lot of fun. Uh, we might not have talked about it on the show. Um, we, can, I, we can dive into that in a second. I do want to finish this list of Stadia games. Well, there's just Power Rangers, right? <laughs> it's just Power Rangers. <laughs> Saving the best yeah. for last. <laughs> it's morphin time. Uh, so obviously <laughs> none of us know anything about this game, right? That's just a pretty easy assumption yeah. here. Yeah. Uh, but the Power Rangers franchise still lives on. Um, it's, it's amazing. Like, again, having worked at GameStop, I was surprised by how many people just that I had degrees of separation from that were f still following Power Rangers. Again, like, there's a comic book series related to all this. Different universes and just, it still, it still lives. It's still going on. So Power Rangers Battle for the Grid looks to be a uh, 2D uh, 1v1 fighting game in the style of Street Fighter, um, which, uh, you know, it's interesting. We've seen a lot of these um, uh, uh, 2D fighting games over the last few years. There was one with Gundam. Uh, I remember uh, Naruto had one. Um, uh, uh, there's like I, I know there, I know there's a number that came out. It feels like this is kind of getting a treatment. Uh, it's like getting the Dynasty Warriors treatment, where oh we have this good uh structure for gameplay. We're just gonna throw an IP over it and re-release it for sixty bucks as often as we can. Um, so that's what this kind of looks like, and you know, Dynasty Warriors. Though simple and copy and pasted very often, still a fun game. Uh, it's, it's built on a copy and pasted formula, but it's a good formula for an uh, enjoyable game. So that appears to be what this is. There might be story elements or lore elements to get out of it, but uh, it's, a, it's the Power Rangers fighting game for Power Rangers fans. Uh, this is not going to be the next wave of competitive esports scene. Uh, I imagine. Well, one fun bit of trivia, I was just Googling around, and um, first off, I was tickled by the Google results for this game. I Googled Power Rangers Stadia. The first link is broken into Business Insider, and it says the link cannot be found. <laughs> the second one takes you to a website called GameFragger, which clearly only loads in, in like a mobile view and doesn't take up the Where entire the window. Where the hell did you um, go? But the... <laughs> but um a uh, fun bit of trivia that this gamefragger website uh mentioned is that and i i have not fact checked this but apparently they're saying that um when it comes to stadia pro it looks like it may be the first fighting game with full cross play uh on ps4 xbox one nintendo switch steam and stadia that's, that's what the you know what with the elder scrolls online this is this is stadia's multiplayer demo update that's what this is. Yeah. 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 Because they really want to lean into those features 
because I'm sure they found like only lukewarm success with all the single player offerings. Right. So hopefully they can lean into this and like especially if they can strike good deals with crossplay like maybe maybe that's maybe that's a strategy here that's how they're trying to go forward. I do want to add that I found this when I uh, searched it the first image that came up was a I'm going to put it in the show notes it's like a, a logo thing and a, a fighting image and then along the bottom four huge logos PS4 Xbox One Nintendo Switch and Steam <laughs> Oof <laughs> no Stadia <laughs> Yep I mean that's that's what that's that's the reality right Whoops. now Um <laughs> it is funny I was just thinking you know Stadia has games that aren't the pro games, the state for free that if you're a pro you get. But um I'm actually just looking at their full list. I I'm already done. <laughs> I I just scrolled through the full list of <laughs> games on Stadia. The number of games that I get for free with pro is increasing uh the percentage of those games is increasing of their total library. Like they're just not adding new games that I could even buy. Uh, and my point is to say, I don't even view Stadia as a service where I can buy games. I view it as like a Netflix-style service at the moment. Is if Netflix only gave me two games every month that I wanted. So, uh, six games is a little bit more promising, but you know, we're talking about a service that I'm paying for that lets me try out some games I might be vaguely interested in. Um... This is yeah. This is my this is this is my opinion of Stadia right now, based on the features and things that they've given me, because they're not even releasing games that I can pay for. Like the list has not updated with anything I recognize. <laughs> it hasn't, which is that that's crazy to me that they're not even releasing games to pay for. What? Well, the the funny thing is that if you notice, uh, the thing that stands out to me when I go in the Stadia app is there's still no search button, because. There's no need to. Oh you can God. just scroll through the whole list and you can see every game. There's yeah. a, um, All people would do is search for things and find out how many things are not on Stadia. So they just don't even include a search button <laughs> in their store. So like that's that's like a conscious design choice that really sticks out to me. Another thing is like Stadia is really straddling the line right now between the Netflix model and the Steam model where, you know, it's like, are, is this a service that's delivering a library of games as part of the subscription fee or is this going to be a service where like so steam is a service that sells you game licenses the same as stadia uh but you know like if if steam went away or like steam stopped working you would not be able to access any of your games so right. like but mm -hmm. but yet steam is very despite being locked into that ecosystem people spend a lot of money on steam and steam is very successful Steam also doesn't have a monthly fee. So, yeah. but that's but that's where the whole like Netflixy thing comes in. Like Steam there are free games on Steam, but they don't have like paid offerings that they give away for free. So Stadia is trying to like be in between these two things and uh it it hasn't really found its place yet. But it is it is good to see that they are continuing to roll out some of these features however slowly and also you know world circumstances being what they are i'm sure that they that maybe they had plans to roll things out faster and things maybe slowed down like that's something that we we shouldn't Let, let's not pretend like they were great before COVID. well i i'm like, just well, saying we can't know we can't know right. maybe they did have a plan to, i'm giving them the benefit of the doubt in that 
maybe they did want to roll out more of these features. And I'm sure even Google has had to reduce their staff at their data centers. So, you know, I'm not sure. sure. I'm sure they're focusing more on reliability than new features for across their services at the moment. So I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt on that one. That being said, uh, it's unlucky for sure. <laughs> it's <laughs> yeah. To to your point, Dan, I I I understand why you would think that. Like, no, they. The way I'm thinking about this is, the COVID must have affected some amount of production from Stadia, but like, there's no reason to think or assume it did because it's true. It's not like they were doing anything before then, and that's also on them. Like before COVID happens, like they had time to do stuff that they didn't, so they unfortunately just don't get this benefit of the doubt because uh, they're just doing as much as they were then. Uh, they probably were affected, but, you know, what What about all this time that you released Stadia in what? December? Did they release it in December? Like, uh, they they had so much opportunity. Has it been that little time? Hasn't been a year yet, definitely. Well, this this is my point. Seems like longer. No, it it seems like longer, but Google Stadia launched on November 19th. It came out like just as like Oh yeah. I guess we've just been talking about it yeah, for a lot longer. Yeah, yeah. we've why. been talking about it for longer, but it it really came out not that long ago and um you know, they have they really haven't had almost any non-COVID time to that, be releasing okay. features. That's fair. Okay, I take back what I said then. They had they had what a month, a month and a half before the world started getting locked down. So I don't know. I'm still I'm still giving them the benefit of the doubt. I still haven't canceled my subscription. Yeah, I'm. I I think it's it's I <laughs> think it's relate. fair to give them the benefit of the doubt. Uh, they just haven't been helping themselves as far as being able to do that. <laughs> Part of the thing is that they are being so secretive about the process. You know, it's not like. It's not like, you know, what you get with an indie studio where you have you have devs like posting updates on blogs and saying like, oh, working on this or we hit or a hell, snag on like this, having, that or the other thing or having alpha and beta testers from message boards like. Right. Yeah, exactly. So like it really it really is a black box like we can't see in and we can't really see what they're doing or what they're trying to do, which, you know, makes it difficult, at least in my mind, to to pass that kind of judgment Mm -hmm. i here here's an interesting question because i have the same opinion about star wars Uh oh i am happy yeah we'll get to that uh i'm happy to pass harder judgments on disney and on google because they are disney and they are google like sure if an indie company takes another year to release their game like i get that i have full context for that but i have no idea why disney would allow themselves to be rushed making the new star wars trilogy i'm just saying i'm just saying like i don't think that like we we i think we could all basically agree that there was a time constraint that led to some amount of problems for these there are external time constraints though i mean they they have obligations to their shareholders to deliver things by particular dates. I mean, that's like like all these companies have different restrictions have restrictions on them. They're just different restrictions. Like a small indie group might have like more down to earth restrictions that we may be more familiar with, but the mega companies they're they're still under time constraints because they have to they have to hit 
uh, certain marks for their guidance for their for their shareholders. So like, they're they're also under time constraints. Um, now, but if, I guess uh, could they have done things to ensure that there would be more time before delivering things? I mean, maybe they have more control over that, and and that would be your argument. But like, it's not that they're just because they have money and they have people doesn't mean that they're un you know unbound by these kind of time constraints. You know, my my problem is I am so. I guess I'm basically married to this idea that the movies suffered because of time constraints, therefore are worse, therefore are less successful. But I think that last thing is the thing that's not true. Like, they really can release any Star Wars movie, basically, with, uh, like, the minimum amount of effort, and it'll be a huge seller. Uh, not just because of the movie price, uh, movie ticket sales, but because of like merchandising and how much money they can make selling a one dollar shirt for twenty five bucks with Daisy Ridley's face on it. Um, and those are where the margins are. Uh, selling that shirt, that shirt doesn't care how good the movie is. Uh, so long as you sell a hundred thousand of those, you can meet all your shareholder quotas. Um, so I guess uh, it's, it's there's this really fun image that I saw the other day. I'm going to link in the show note, which is Star Wars revenue throughout our galaxy. And they have it, uh, they have it set up as a pie chart. I'm going to send this to you guys. They have it set up as a pie chart on a Millennium Falcon. And you can clearly <laughs> see that the biggest, by far the biggest piece of the pie for Star Wars revenue is toys. Yeah. So yeah. like it's toys followed by video games followed by box office oh really so like yeah yeah that 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 tracks i mean i can i i think toys are gonna be the biggest this is why like disney world is a thing right like because movies make a bunch of money on their opening weekend if they're a big budget or sometimes even if they're not but the their opening weekend is usually their best selling and then it's just downhill from there for the most part um versus toys they can continuously release new toys they can make theme parks they can do like you said video games these are these are all renewable things that they can keep updating even when there's not a new multi-million dollar movie that they're yeah, making. their incentive is to make the vi the minimum viable star wars that can be released and you know <laughs> anything uh, anything beyond that like making it a really good movie is just is just gravy it's just like extra flavor text but like the most no, make no mistake, the most important thing to them is just to get the movie out on time and have it be at least okay. Yeah, yeah. And there has to be a cute, fuzzy thing in it that they can make a stuffed animal out exactly. of. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah abs absolutely. There has to be a porg. There has to be a baby Yoda. There has to be a you know. <laughs> it's absolutely true. What was the thing in the Rise of Skywalker? Oh, the, the the little mechanic guy. What was his name? Uh, yeah, there was him. I don't know his name. Uh, but there was also we got a cone bot, the new R two D two. The cone. Oh yeah, that's the big one. Yeah, the yeah. what's his name? The cone bot. <laughs> cone bot. I'm cone fuck. bot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen the movie in a while now. I I so I only remembered it because I just watched um not the whole thing. I fell asleep in the middle. Ha ha ha. Um. La la la. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and uh i saw him and i was like uh yeah i do remember you and you were cute it's like didn't stick out in my memory whatsoever uh, the existence of this robot like at all 
Uh, but yeah, he was, yeah, he's definitely one of the things that was designed to sell toys and whatevers. And, uh, man, they, they like really struck gold with Porgs. Like, that's the crazy thing. Oh, Porgs are the best. And I love Porgs. I don't even, like, that's the worst part is I'm not even mad. Like, I love Porgs. <laughs> if they made a bunch of money on it, like, <laughs> they deserved it. <laughs> I'm trying to Google for the name of this bot and I can't even find it. D0? <laughs> it doesn't matter. Maybe. I can't even confirm if you're right or wrong. <laughs> it's like, it's, it, it really is like, it hardly matters what his name is. Anyway, you had a big Star Wars discussion yesterday with a couple of our viewers. That was pretty cool. I couldn't be there, but. Yeah, I know. Uh, I, I wish you could have been there because uh, we had, we had a, so my brother is an excellent, excellent resource for Star Wars information. And I mean like the Star Wars information that is totally real and no one is aware of. And he is, when I, when we grew up, he was the bookworm. He was the one that got straight A's. Like he was the, he was the smart, the stereotypically smart brother. Hmm. Uh, he had bookshelves of books that he read. And the things that I remember being there are the Hardy Boys, the kids detective novels, Star Trek, bunch of Star Trek and Star Wars. Uh, this was all of his stuff. And he's a much bigger Star Trek fan than Star Wars. Uh, but make no mistake, before it was uh, uncanonized, he absorbed all of that content. So, uh, like, things that stick out to me that he's talked to me about is, um, like, Jedi lightsaber duels. They take place in this weird uh, way when two Force users have a lightsaber duel. Both combatants are having the fight like a moment in the future because there's this like predictive power to the force so they can each predict each other's movements a moment ahead so this is part of like the chess of a live combat between force users kind of like how they did sherlock holmes in the robert downey jr movies uh where he's planning all his strikes and the damage is it damage it's going to do it's kind of like that Lightsaber duels kind of play out like that. Right. Or Dead Eye and Red Dead 2. <laughs> uh-huh. So, <laughs> yeah, that game we all played. So, <laughs> so, uh, so getting him to talk about it was really great. Uh, we also had James Doherty, uh, Doxed. Uh, James, James, <laughs> James, James Doxterty, more like. Yeah, we, there it is. Thank you. <laughs> so we also... <laughs> So we also had my friend James there, who is a fan of the Star Wars series, a good friend of mine. And uh, we, the opinions that we had, uh, I'll, try, I'll try to stay away from spoiler territory for you, Dan. But, because uh, Dan hasn't seen it, audience, in case, in it's, case it's you weren't fine. aware. I think, I think, I think this, the statute of limitations on uh, spoilers Well, is in done. any case, I, I, I'm on the fence of my opinion, literally. Like, I'm of the opinion that I can watch the movie, and I did watch the movie when I saw it in theaters. I watched it, and I enjoyed it, and I was done. But then I talked about it, or I watched it again, or, if, or I thought about it. Like, if I give it any more time, I'm like, eh, this didn't make sense. I didn't like this scene. Why did they go and do that? How did they know? Like, I have all these kind of, all the, it starts crumbling immediately as soon as I take another inch, uh, investing myself my friend james started there my friend james started with i just have all these questions none of this made sense this was all a problem 
And my brother, who is the biggest Star Wars fan of all of us, was like, I really like this movie. I understand where they, how they made a lot of these decisions, and I think they did a really good job with it. So James and I were kind of just like, what? Well, what? What? I thought, what? This goes against everything we would have thought. Uh, but as it turns out, his context of the effects of the Force in the universe, um, really, it really comes down to the Force is the perfect deus ex machina. This is what this all comes down to, where like you have this uh, this plot device in the movie, where you have um, this thing that you line up against an environment and it lines up perfectly and it turns out to, it's a map. And you're like, all right, uh, hold, hold, hold on. So you're telling me the guy who forged this knife knew this person would see this environment, the environment would go unchanged after decades of this knife's existence in the first place, and then they would stand in this exact spot to line it up this way when none of these things were set up to, like, be expected or important. They just happens to all work out. And that's ridiculous and seems like lazy plot writing. And I swear to God, my brother just says, like, clear, like, I, I don't, I'm gonna, I'm gonna misquote him. So go, go watch the VOD. But <laughs> the, the answer was clearly this dagger was designed for this moment in time. Yes, it's so out there and it's so ridiculous. What are the odds? And it's because there was no game of odds being played. It's because whoever forged this dagger forged it using whatever predictive power of the Force or guidance by the Force for that moment in time. Whereas you have the same exact, you have the same exact scene in, we're going back here, you have the same exact scene in National Treasure. Starring, what's his, I don't even remember his name, the guy. Nicholas Nicholas Cage. Cage. National Treasure, the first one, with Nicholas Cage. And he finds, uh, I, I, I didn't prepare for this, it's been a while. But he, he <laughs> finds the, the sunlight hitting a, sta- uh, like, ref, uh, being cast on a statue where its shadow casts a very specific, like, ring around a brick on the side of a building and he's like trying to piece the puzzle together. And when he sees the statue and sees the shadow it casts, he goes over to the brick and the brick has the logo that he's looking for. And he carves out the brick and the brick has the next puzzle in it. Like that's how he solved it. But it's like, there's gotta be something like 300 days out of the year where the sun's not over there. And you would (laughs) never have seen this. Like, and like, there's no force in this universe, so what's the explanation for this one movie? And the explanation is that the writers were lazy and don't really care, and they just made a Nicolas Cage movie. <laughs> but Star Wars... I, it, <sighs> so, I mean, you're already answering your point in that you see how that comparison's a little bit unfair, in that in Star Wars, I totally agree with your brother, that in <laughs> Star Wars, the thing about the force is... Once you introduce, in the traditional sense, like you describe it as the deus ex machina thing, which it is, it's also introducing time travel to the story. 
you know, in a very specific, nuanced form. It's not like Back to the Future time travel, but or uh, or even or Marvel time travel, um, which is a whole different thing. Yeah. But Star Wars—that's what we're calling it now. Star Wars does have through the Force; it has its own form of time travel, and that always introduces problems in stories and it introduces uh problems with the believability of stories because uh it's it's not something that we have and it's like oh how how could they possibly design like like the thing with the dagger is a great example because it uses the shape of how this piece of architecture broke exactly and like lines it up the witness style <laughs> to yeah. point to a particular point. And it's like, what are the odds of doing that? Well, it doesn't, the odds are astronomical, but it doesn't matter. It's because this through force insight that the person who made that dagger basically traveled to the future, took a look and just designed it as if it was right in front of them. So like, so it makes perfect sense. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's as much, it, it makes perfect. It's as much of a plot hole as any, time travel is in any time travel story right like this is just what you deal with when you're dealing with time travel and i think we expect the story to be tighter because we're not thinking of the force in terms of time travel but that's really what it is so i made the point uh in the conversation yesterday uh i made the point to my brother that you know what this is i hear you and i respect you um but uh that it worked for me the explanation worked for me but then the problem i still have with the making of the movie is that this impression of the force this experience that he has that i didn't um the movie makers didn't do a good job of giving me that premise didn't set that precedent for me that this was within the range of the force's power um if there was even some reference to uh the character holding the knife like if she, if 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 they were surprised in that moment by like wait no way and she, and they hold it up and they see it line up and it's like i want i want that character to be just as surprised with how powerful the force is as i am because then it makes sense then it's believable because yes it is ridiculous it is outrageous and that's just how powerful the force is. If they had that kind of reaction to it, then I can notice like, oh, they're not just trying to put this under the rug. This is amazing. And the implications of this event uh, for what, how powerful the force is, is great just by having that kind of moment. And by not setting that precedent or preparing that in any way leaves me, the ama amazingly, leaves me the ignorant viewer uh, less satisfied with your outcome and you're just it makes it makes it look like you're making a bad movie and if you're not fine but you know you, if this is the precedent you're sticking with then you got to teach me you got to let got to work with me here you got to help me out here you can't, I, I agree I, that do that solving that problem that way would be a better choice than what they did like having the characters with the audience more and discovering things with the audience would have made it uh made the characters more realistic and would have made the story make more sense and that 
that's all true. It's kind of hard being in your position because you're exactly in the middle of a spectrum that's like the worst place to be when watching these movies. At one end, you have like... Man. <laughs> at one end, you have, um, you know, just kids that are watching it as a fun, like, action-adventure movie. They're not thinking very critically about the plot. They're just, like, enjoying these events as they happen. And there's no, and there's no problem then right. with, like, the issues in this story. Right. At the other end of the spectrum, you have people like your brother that are, like, really steeped in the extended universe and know all the machinations behind the scenes, behind the, the structure of the story and how they justified their decisions. But that's not given to you as a viewer. So like, you know, in the middle you have somebody, you have you who is thinking critically about the movie, but also doesn't have all the extended universe to, to back up everything that they're seeing and justify everything that they're seeing, which is kind of the, it's kind of the worst place to be in when you're watching these movies, I feel like. And they definitely could have done things in the movie. I agree with you that they definitely could have done things in the movie to help viewers along that part of the spectrum more to uh, either give them more backgrounds or at least have the characters be as surprised at the power of the force as the viewer would be. So yeah, I, I agree. Right. I, I understand what, I understand what you're saying as far as the, like be like the position that I'm coming from is amazingly like disadvantaged uh, or something like that. But I, I do think these things can be made up for with just good movie making. Like sure. Uh, I've, I've seen good movies explain a lot with just subtle things. Um, even, even a play. I saw on Long Island. I saw the Crucible. I think I mentioned this on the episode uh, on in the podcast yesterday too. Um, a play I saw of the Crucible. Uh, the director was someone I got to know, and it was good. It was enjoyable. I don't like seeing live events uh, very often, uh, but I did enjoy it. There was a lot of good performances. <laughs> Put a pin in that one. <laughs> it, uh, it's been a while. I don't have like well thought out things to say anymore. But the thing that stood out to me was this is about the Salem witch trials where people are getting falsely accused of being witches. And one of the ways to communicate the consequences of become of being called a witch is uh, when there was one character who was innocent and she was just kind of like a maid and she was just in the background. Eventually they got around to like, Oh, this person, she's probably a witch. This person's a witch. And then they uh, confronted her with it and they, you know, were approaching her. Just these, you know, village people. They were walking towards her, not non-threatening village people. But this character was so scared. Like her fear is what sold how terrible the consequences are of these actions just for being accused. She was scared to death. And that's what I remembered seeing. And that's what the director said was this actor, she did a great job for selling the fear, for communicating the gravity of the situation. It wasn't in the how powerful these characters were for threatening her it had nothing to do with them. It had to do with how scared that one actress was for being approached. 
And that was a really great way to communicate that. So it's so my point yeah, is like when you when you describe that though specifically like I think about Elizabeth Moss in The Handmaid's Tale. Okay. Uh which I I don't know if you've watched it. I think it is a really good show. Not very aware. And a lot of the dramatic tension in the show is like you see in her fear and her or her rage in her reactions to relatively small things that are happening. Like she brings like they, they have all these close ups and you know, she brings all of the like the extended consequences of because it's this like strange other like alternate future uh that has all these social structures that the show and the book too, they don't have time to introduce uh everything that's happening in the world and how the world works, but they communicate so much of how the world works through her uh expressions and reactions to things yeah like you know that when something simple happens in a certain way that there could be deadly there could be life and death consequences uh just based on her reaction they don't have to tell you in dialogue that this is something really dangerous they also communicate it really well through music too okay yeah but um like like that's that's another example i feel like of this this kind of thing that i think is really successful yeah, so this and and those are the kinds of things that when I hear a movie is being made by you know a, such a well-funded company with the most talented people in the world, I, I'm looking forward to being uh, surprised or engaged or just you know even learning something new. Like and maybe and maybe that's the real problem here is like I'm sort of a student of the art form, so I'm not sort of like if I have a master's degree in performing like this i'm absolutely interested in these things and when i see the top of my field uh just you know getting by i i guess i guess that's where all the personal emotion comes from about this like the real desire for a more innovative or more innovation in this field i think i guess that's just where that comes from yeah that, that makes a lot of sense yeah I hear you on that one. So, Rise of Skywalker sucks. <laughs> should have been called The Rise of Palpatine. We should have been called The Rise of Palpatine. Wait, wait, that was the best part of the conversation we had yesterday, where my brother said, you know, the prequels, the prequels, they seem a lot better if you just imagine Palpatine as the protagonist. Yeah, yeah. No, that was... I, I loved when he said that, because I was like... Oh, that's that makes total sense. Like when I like when I go back and watch a prequel movie, this like the scenes with him and the parts with him are the are the best parts of those movies across the board. Sure, yeah. Uh just like acting, writing, uh just all all kinds of stuff. Yeah. So that that, that was a good bit of input. I've uh I've not tried watching the uh prequels with that in mind. Uh and I also, I tried <laughs> a lot of my justification for like like when I'm like I sometimes like on some occasions I found myself like justifying the the new trilogy sure. to uh to to other people and you know like th there's especially like the the final movie um yeah the the rise of Skywalker is like, people are <laughs> like of, uh, why are they <laughs> People are like, why is it uh, like why is it happening like why did they bring the Emperor back like why is why is all this stuff happening and what I always have to try to explain is like. 
the whole arc of the Skywalker saga has been mm-hmm. uh, about this about this guy has been about uh, you know how Palpatine's been pulling the strings behind the scenes for all this for all this time, and that's why it makes sense. And uh, that's you can argue whether that was a good choice or not, but that's why I feel like they did a good job in you know in this last movie of landing this massive aircraft carrier of like this story of like how are they going to tie up all these loose ends and how are they going to make have it make sense and like it's it's so much it's it's a really hard job and i think think they did as good as they could have considering i it's it's funny i actually i brought that up uh cuz you've told me that before where the the context that i think of this in is people complain that the new trilogy doesn't stay true to you know, the soul of Star Wars, or something like that. But when you brought this up about Palpatine, it was with the context of, no, 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 no. This is what Star Wars is. We've had uh, six movies before this that you're talking about. Six movies that established the soul of Star Wars. And you know what was a consistent theme through all these movies? Palpatine runs everything. So for you to say that this movie is not about Palpatine run like for this movie to break the molds that they've established and is about Palpatine running everything, then you're just not paying attention. Like this movie sticks to it or brings it back to it by bringing Palpatine back. Cause he's always the one he's always been the driving force in the star Wars universe. Yeah. So I thought that was really cool. That's, that's a more succinct way of saying what I was trying to say. Good job. <laughs> I, I didn't, didn't feel very <laughs> succinct, but uh, anyway, uh, we, uh, the, God, there was one more thing I wanted to say about Star Wars. Um, mm, no, I'm not going to remember it. Anyway, I don't think that was very succinct, but, well, it's fine. We'll just, uh, <laughs> we'll move on from there. Yeah. Right? What's, uh... So, did you guys both watch the, uh, State of Play for The Last of Us 2? No, I did not. Um, much like, much like you, I didn't want the spoilers. I watched the State of Play. Because, like... I feel like this is an interesting thing. Um, I didn't watch it because, you know, I, I posted in the Discord, link in the show notes, <laughs> about, uh, like, like should I, do you think I should watch the thing or not? And then James, again, James Doxterdy, said, <laughs> said something really interesting to me when he was like, do you think you need to be sold on buying this game? And I said, well, no, of course not. And then he's like, well, then don't watch it. And I never thought about it in that. I just thought that was so smart, or maybe maybe it was just something really yeah. obvious, like that I just hadn't thought about before. But I was like, that's that's exactly it. I guess like, you know, if the focus of this thing is going to be just to like generate more hype and to, you know, drive sales closer to the date, well, that you know, I'm I'm already sold on it multiple times over. <laughs> so yeah, and I that sort of changed how I view these things too, because I've always viewed them. As as somebody who I'm only gonna watch it if I'm if I'm gonna get it like I'm I'm not usually get, sitting there watching a whole bunch of like video game ads for things that I don't are not really interesting to me. I'll I I used to think of it as like oh it's not trying to sell me on this it's trying to like hype me up for it like it's coming soon I want to I need to get excited. Um, but that's not what this is for, and I'm I'm really glad that actually it, I am able to change how I think about it now because I was able to not watch it. And now I'm going to be uh, learning all these things firsthand when the game comes out. I, I watched the state of play. 
Uh, I watched a cup, a little bit of other people's reactions to it. I also listened to the newest episode of Play, Watch, Listen, uh, featuring Troy Baker, who is the voice of Joel from The Last of Us, uh, and many other excellent people. The thing that the this episode of this podcast was trying to communicate is that this was done in response to COVID. This was done in response to people are stuck in quarantine, people have been waiting, people are excited, people are emotional. It also must be true that this is done in part uh, because there were leaks recently. Um, I don't know how much you two know about that. I've not looked into the those leaks specifically. However, I did have someone talk to me uh, at a McDonald's the other day. Uh, I It was someone I had... <laughs> It's someone I worked with at GameStop. This is, today's the GameStop episode for me. <laughs> but uh, I, I saw him, and we talked a little bit, and somehow Last of Us 2 came out, and he said, oh, did you, did you see the leaks? And I was like, no, but tell, just, just lay it on me. Just get it over with. Oh, my gosh. Why would you do that? Because, <laughs> well, we'll get into that in a second. That's a whole other thing. But uh, he told me these leaks, or what people were saying, and he told me how people were reacting to it. And... I was just like, you know what? I'm even after hearing it, I'm not convinced that this is relevant or helpful. Like, all right, you told me something that sounds spoilery. That sounds like a leak. Like, fine. But I don't I don't believe it. Like, I don't believe in the I don't believe the leaks. I bought The Last of Us and I played The Last of Us with the with the assumption that this was a game about a man surviving apocalypse with his daughter. Oof. <laughs> and Naughty Dog lied on camera <laughs> up until the release date. They did. They sure did. About the game being about a man and his daughter. They claimed it was about a man and his daughter and then if you were like me a poor innocent and naive fool <laughs> that played the game who had your heart ripped from you in the first 15 minutes of gameplay no i don't trust the leaks i don't <laughs> i don't i don't have a full picture of what they're saying I know what people are trying to tell me they're saying. I understand people are reacting to them. And I say no. And to add in what was said in Watch, Play, Listen, Troy Baker is talking about how Naughty Dog, through Uncharted, through Last of Us, through everything that they've done, has built up a reputation that other companies, other developers, other developers idolize and they look up to and they appreciate the work and they've set new standards for everyone around them the advice from troy break from troy baker is the odds are good the odds are good whatever opinion you had from these leaks that make you think the game might be bad you know, think about the people that made it, all the effort, all the work, all the technology. 
and the repu- the precedent and reputation of Naughty Dog, the odds are good you will like it. And and the most important thing he probably says is at the very least, if you loved the first Last of Us, Last of Us, if you love Neil Druckmann, if you love Naughty Dog, if you have any investment in this, and then threw a hissy fit over these leaks, at least do yourself the respect of playing the game, forming your own opinion on the experience that they created for you before trashing the game. At least play the game before you get mad. Because then if you're still mad, fine. Your opinion is valid and we get it and that's perfectly reasonable criticism but not not right and now. we still have your money and we still have your money <laughs> but not right now not from here not from this not from this foot you're standing on not from this point so yeah i mean the thing that i'd been that i saw going around i forget if it was troy or neil who said this but i, I think it might have been neil but um a- after the leaks went around uh one of them was like no matter what you may have seen, no matter what you may have heard, nothing compares to the experience of playing this game. Like getting yeah. back, like that's what they're, I feel like that's the line that they're towing right now is they're trying to bring the focus back to the fact that, remember, this is, this is an interactive piece of art. There is no way that it could be spoiled for you by somebody just telling you about it or even you seeing uh, some footage about it because the experience of being in the driver's seat and interacting with the story is what makes the experience. So, which, which is all the hype that I need because that's, that's incredibly exciting. Like, that's, that's right. a lot of what made the first game so great it's a lot of why i've played it so many times even though it's such a long story like i've i've played through that game more times than i've watched most movies mm-hmm. even though it's a much more significant investment of time because the experience of playing through the story is worth it which is where the whole tv show comes in like how is that going to stack up is that going to be as good of an experience I don't know. I don't know. Because it, like, it looks like they're just trying to, at least from what I've seen, they're trying to just tell the, sto- the same story. Not like do an extended universe, but like tell the same story that is The Last of Us, but just through uh, a serialized television format uh, with, with different actors, uh, with different people. Um, I don't it's a know. hard bargain. I'm I'm really excited to see if that's going to be successful or not. I do, I it is a strong story, but I don't know if it's going to be as successful in a non-interactive medium. I'm very interested to see that. Yeah, it's going to be different. Uh it's going to be difficult. You're going to get a different experience and it depends on how it depends on the choices they make going into it. Um but like, as far I as I trust be- HBO to make the best show that they can. Yeah, I don't know. Have you seen those a- la- have you seen those last seasons of Game of Thrones? I don't know anymore. Uh... <laughs> uh, I I haven't because I don't watch Game. Well, of Thrones. well. To be fair, me neither. To to be fair to get to Game of Thrones is when they had a book to go off of a story that was written by somebody else. It was pretty good. So as long as they don't have to write the story, it should be fine. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah, but yeah, but you know what? <laughs> I heard I heard someone tell me. I don't know if this is true, and I'm not going to look it up, but uh 
apparently the writing of the story went came down to all right we're out of material uh actors what do you guys think happens to your characters and that's like how they generated the story was just from not even writers like I, I, fine these actors are professionals but they're not writers and I don't like, it just it seems like they didn't try with something like that and I'm worried that that's the case and I don't know uh I don't I don't I don't want to give them credit I I want to be I want to be pissy here I don't <laughs> have any opinion on Game of Thrones I've never watched the the books are good actually no that's not true I did try watching some amount of season one I forget how much and I was not enjoying it and then someone told me oh you have to wait until season two and I was like I'm not doing this not- <laughs> yeah I I heard the same thing I've I've watched like the first four or five episodes i feel like of the first season and i didn't get into it and i've also heard the same thing it's like i gotta get to season two and i'm just like uh there's a lot of stuff to watch i'm watching the leftovers and that that's a good show like (laughs) that (laughs) not this game of thrones garbage yeah game of the year you're not you're not missing much i do highly recommend the books if you if you need something to read they're not like my favorite books of all time but they're good um, but the show is like, it's all right. Definitely don't need anything to read right now. Yeah, Alex doesn't read. Yeah, who, who reads, honestly? Come on. Alex plays Celeste. I do. Oh, <laughs> oh there we oh, go. Oh, boy. That's do we have to, I, oh, oh, man. I'm going to. You put gonna... it in follow up, so this is on you, buddy. <laughs> That's. <sighs> I've had a strained relationship with this game recently. And let me start by saying. Uh, that Celeste and I are happily married for many years now. Uh, <laughs> we fell in love and we got married on the sunny shores of West Palm Beach, Florida. Uh, we have two beautiful kids who we have raised to be good, uh, moral, uh, upstanding citizens. And through what is all happening? this, through, through <laughs> any story of great love, uh, always has its own trials and tribulations, and my 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 trials are coming at a head recently. But I still love her, you know. Like no matter how hard it gets, I still I can't I can't let her down. I'm, I, she's still the same old girl I fell in love with. Just to on be the clear, first day I laid eyes on her. Just to be clear, Alex has married the mountain, not the protagonist <laughs> of the story. Yeah, the protagonist is named Madeline. Well, I don't know what you're yeah. thinking. What's the matter with you? Her name's Madeline. Come on. Um, <laughs> okay. I. The story's a metaphor. <laughs> the story's a metaphor for real feelings that I have, but these feelings more concretely are I first played the game with moderate interest in what seems to be a difficult but reasonable platformer. And, but w- with a story about climbing a mountain and the difficulties of climbing a mountain when you've never climbed a mountain before and what it takes to learn how to climb a mountain and people support you and people put you down and that's, that's what's going on. The more and more I played Celeste, the more I liked it. Uh, when I got to the end of the game, I was like, oh, that was good. That was fun. I think I even said that on in an episode where I was just like, oh, it was a good game. I enjoyed it. I might go back to it. But every time I go back to it, I just I get myself more and more engaged. 
And I'm, I believe that was intended. I believe that was an intentional choice. I think the developers want the main story of the game to also be incredible. And the story is really the catalyst for that. But the real shining moment, or the, the real bright spot of Celeste, is that every challenge precedes an even more difficult challenge where you need the skills you learn right now in order to overcome the next challenge, but also learn more skills or get better at the ones you have to overcome the following challenge. And there's like 27 levels of challenge here, and each one precedes the next where you need to build up your skill set with each challenge. And I overcame an amazing mental lock playing this game. I have a huge vendetta against gameplay where you have to beat this whole section that takes a long time, but if you die, you start from the beginning. And I'm just like, oof, I don't, oof, this is terrible. And immediately comes to mind is Slay the Spire. <laughs> Terrible game. <laughs> uh, but I would argue that this is, this is not the case. Be well, Sl Slay the Spire is not this thing, though. Slay the Spire presents you with a challenge, a random challenge that... It's, it's like Tetris. Like, I don't get mad when I lose at Tetris because I would never play Tetris. You always eventually lose. <laughs> um, Slay the Spire has that sort of challenge. There is an end limit. To when you reach the end, but it's also that's what the, it's what this game is about. It's randomly generated, and it's not like it's not like I have to beat this randomly generated run to advance. It's like okay, I lost this run, I got unlucky, whatever. Move on to the next run. Maybe I'll have better luck. Maybe I know better this time. Uh, what I'm talking about is a section of a game where just the checkpoint or the respawn point is. 15 minutes behind me and I died and then I have to do the same exact thing just to get to that point and then learn how to do it and then die again and then hopefully learned enough in that small amount of time to that once I get back there I can use that new knowledge to advance um we have an interesting we, there's a weird relationship between humans and the internet in this way where a lot of people just kind of have this thing about wanting to uh, learn on their own. Like they don't want to use the internet. They want to. They want to take this challenge on their own, or else they feel like they're cheating. Um, they just they they don't want outside help. They don't want backseat gaming. Um, but this is the best time for looking up how to do it because otherwise you're just literally running into a wall every five minutes and not making progress. So, this is all a precedent to the moment in Celeste where. You have the main game, which is chapters 1 through 7, uh, an added challenge in chapter 8, which was fun and challenging and enjoyable, and then the even bigger challenge, uh, extra chapter in chapter 9, which is even longer and even harder and has more uh, pixel-perfect jumps. Not pixel-perfect, but like just harder techniques to execute. Chapter 9 is maybe, let's say, 50 screens long. I don't know how many screens there are, but there's like 50 screens. The last screen is the longest one by no small margin. Like, the theme of that screen is like, 
Celeste is telling you this is the first time you've seen a screen this long, and this is the challenge. This is the last part of the chapter. If you want to beat this challenge, you have to beat this chapter. So the developers created this to be the thing that I hate the most as their final challenge of their final chapter. And you can, and I'm, I, I wanted to, I'm going to, I'll try and put a video together with like the, the, the important moments of me playing this on stream. Cause I played this on stream. Uh, I was fucking pissed. I was livid playing this. Cause I, cause I did it. Cause I gotten to that point. Like I said, there's 50 screens. I just beaten 49. And the last screen had this garbage that I hated. And I was so mad that I had invested myself so much up to that point that they present me with this thing that they hadn't done the entire game. And now they're like, all right, you know this thing that you hate? All right, here's a whole level dedicated to it. <laughs> and ultimately, this is, and, and this is the point I'm getting, I'm getting to. It took me six hours to beat that one screen. Took me six hours. I beat it in, in all in one stream. Took me six hours to beat that screen. And now I have an appreciation for speedrunning. Now I have the mindset and the experience of what it takes to do a speedrun. Where if I, where the chat, like there's a challenge I'm working on in Celeste now which is getting through the entirety of each chapter without dying. And chapter seven is one of the longer chapters. Uh, that's the most recent one I'm working on. I've probably spent about 12 hours trying to beat chapter seven without dying and haven't succeeded yet. And I'm totally okay with it. Like my whole frame of reference for how this kind of challenge works and how this is a lot, very similar to how a lot of speed runs work. Like you, Speed run a game. If the speed runs three hours long, you make a mistake two and a half hours in. But but the but but like that's it. Uh, <laughs> Celeste, the game trains me to take on these challenges. These challenges that are very related to speed running, which leads to another point about how Celeste is built entirely around being a speed running game. And I think I talked about that last time, so I'm not going to go into too much detail. But um, I have. Ultimately, my point, my point, my point is that Celeste has kind of been groundbreaking for me as a gamer, maybe as a person, but definitely as a gamer. Uh, I love it. I'm going to keep playing it for a while because I'm kind of invested at the moment. And I think that was all on purpose by the developer. I think they did that all on purpose. Those bastards. So... That's been my, like, two weeks ago since I've been playing Celeste, like, every time I play it, it's just been building up uh, to the point where I'm here, and I'm, like, happy to be running my face into a wall over and over again, because I actually believe the game when it says, it says this, it says, don't worry about your death tracker. We'll count how many times you die, don't worry, but don't worry about it. Be proud of your death count. Each death is just another opportunity where you learned something. And 70 hours into playing this game, I have fully embraced that mindset. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable how Celeste has changed my whole perspective on this. So, uh, I, uh, it's, uh, it's, I, 
I've ne- I never would have thought I would have experienced a game that can do this to me, but here we are. Just like The Last Jedi, the more you fail, the more you learn. Just like what? <laughs> what is this? What is this movie garbage you're bringing up talking about? What is this reference to? Never heard of, last. Never heard of it. Last Jedi. So, Alex, now that you have an appreciation for learning through failing, does that mean that you're gonna play uh, Sekiro? Oof. I want to. No, no, I've been. I want to play Sekiro. I've been wanting to play Sekiro. I'm excited to play Sekiro. I'm not excited to pay sixty dollars, but I'm excited to play Sekiro. <laughs> Right. I'm yeah, looking forward to doing a run of that. That'll be good. It. No, it's it's an interesting journey that you've gone on with Celeste. I feel like I feel like I got that feeling from very quickly in trying to do a little speed running myself. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also like I've just also spent many, many hours watching speed runs as well, so I mean, there is a difference doing it from watching it, for sure. But it, it's interesting finding meaning in something that I think on the surface seems so Sisyphean. You know what I mean? You know what's missing from watching a speedrun? Like, if you watch Games Done Quick and these sorts of events, what's missing is you're seeing people at their peak. You're seeing people who've put in the hun- literally hundreds of hours. Um, and Correct. they... And all that effort culminates in just a few minutes. Right. Like, a, like the <laughs> Celeste World Record's 30 minutes. It's 30 minutes. I've put in 70 hours into this game. And I don't think I can beat this game in under an hour yet. But like 70 hours later, or hundreds of hours later, you, that all culminates in just a 30-minute run. And you watch the 30-minute run, and you're like, oh, that was kind of cool. Like, you just, oh. And what I will say is all the watching of the speedrunning that I've seen has not been, like, culminating, like, Games Done Quick-style events. Like, I was following one person through their process mm-hmm. of trying to discover new strats, uh, trying to optimize what they have even further, trying and failing so many times, like... I guess I feel like I got a lot of that experience through watching because I was following one particular person's journey. I feel like that's not a common experience. Sure. Like, that's 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 what I mean when I bring up the GDQ stuff, because a lot of people just watch them casually without that, without the weight of the history and the effort put into those runs. Like, I've watched... So, I'm, I'm talking about Anthony Caliber here. I'll put his right. link right, down right. below. But, yep. um, like, I've I've had the experience of... He usually streams in the evenings, Eastern time. And like, I've had the experience of he'll start a run and he'll fail in a section and he'll go back and practice that section. And he'll just do the same, like the same encounter, the same, like, you know, 30 seconds of gameplay over and over again. And he'll start like practicing at like eight o'clock, nine o'clock at night. And then I stop watching and I go to bed and I wake up the next morning. And then like 12 hours later, He'll still be playing that thirty seconds of mm. oh my God. of this run. Like he doesn't do this all the time, but like sometimes when he gets into like really practicing a section, like trying to get it right, he'll do he'll do his like what he calls an accidental twenty four hour stream, which is like uh-uh. he'll, he'll be practicing the same 
you know, minute of this run for and look down and be like, oh, it's been 12 hours. I guess I better stay up at this point. (laughs) (laughs) So my sleep schedule doesn't get thrown off. Oh, boy. Like that kind of thing is just it's it's fascinating. Like I can't I can hardly think of something else in my experience that I've seen a human being put this kind of focus and dedication into something you know you know i i i can i tie this back to the interview that we had with crowd the airwaves actually because this kind of motivation to do something for hours and sucking at it the whole time is not something i relate to at all like i to be i'll try and like i'm coming from a little bit of a personal perspective here but i'm a musician who is solely a singer. Like, I have a little bit of piano chops, and I've got music theory knowledge, blah, blah, blah. But I'm just a singer, really. Like, I can't market or advertise any other skills as a musician except my voice. And part of that is because I've always been good at singing, or I've always been, like, praised for my singing. Uh, I I picked up a piano when I was young for a little bit, and I played around on it, but, you know, I never practiced. I just had fun and I gained some chops from doing that, but I never practiced it. I never did more than I wanted to. And I never wanted to be bad at it. So I never practiced. So I never practiced it, but my voice, my singing, I have gotten compliments on it my entire life. So that's just the natural road I went down to when I discovered being a voice major in college was a thing. Uh, I tried it out. I, my audition uh, was successful. They let me into their program. Uh, similarly for uh, graduate school, I auditioned. They let me into their program. Like I just, my singing career has had all these like academic successes. Um, but then I, you know, like I've I've grown up and I've matured a lot and I've met a lot of people and I couldn't believe how many people just practice instruments. Like, every day. Like, play your scales. Don't forget to play your scales. I just always thought that was a funny joke. But no, this is what it took. (laughs) This is what people did, and I never believed that for so long. And I was reminded of that in the Crowd the Airways interview, where, um, uh, I think, uh, Christina, right? Uh, She just started picking up guitar, and she started playing it. And she started writing music that was more difficult than she... was too difficult for her to play. So she learned to play by learning to play her the difficult songs she wrote. And she would just practice, and she would suck at it until she got better. And now she's in a band with music on Spotify and Bandcamp, and you should check out Crowd the Airwaves, blah, blah, blah. You should do all that. But, like, I just, I, I never could relate until now. I never could really empathize with this mindset of going at something for hours, for days, for weeks, for years, and being bad at it the whole time. <laughs> I just I it, this is a whole new thing for me. This is the first thing that I've ever practiced and sucked at over and over. And you can watch me suck at it for you can watch me suck at chapter seven of Celeste for twelve hours <laughs> on twitch.tv slash pixelnoisefm. And but see, those are those are also two different types of practicing you're talking about though. And I think that's a valid uh, thing to talk about. Uh Uh-huh, okay. Because I'm one million percent with you on, like, I I never practiced Mm -hmm. at all, like, throughout 
Hofstra like my entire time there like I, I you know I practiced for juries because I had to memorize like five songs so I needed to just run them right. and memorizing is probably the closest I've had to get but to I've it. never been someone to just sit down and like do scales or um like just practice things that like I could do and just perfect them basically but I think the other way of practicing that you are now talking about whereas like you you realize you suck at something and so you just want to practice it until you get good that that's the type of practicing I've done my entire life. Like not so much with with music. I I can't relate there too much. But um, because like you know my voice teacher would always give me a song that I was capable of doing, and so I just had to memorize it. Right. Um. But like with video games, for sure. Like Slay the Spire is the prime example in my life right now. Where like I just want to keep practicing until I can consistently win, and. Sekiro falls into that bucket for me like I think I think that's I also like I've never thought of that as practicing and I'd be interested in hearing your thoughts on this as well like to, and I still don't know if I think of it as practicing to me it's like it's more like learning at like trying to trying to increase my knowledge and abilities of how to do this particular thing as opposed to like I view practicing as taking something that I can already do and trying to get better at it I think, yeah, I, I'm still not, uh, in my own mind from hearing you say that, I'm still not dividing these into two separate categories because it sounds like the disti- the distinctions are twofold. One is the end product has no real-world consequences in Celeste or Sekiro. So, like, practicing is, huh, not to over- overuse <laughs> this word, but frivolous, like, is purely for mm-hmm. my enjoyment is what the product is. Um, but the other thing you brought up is the place where you're starting from is like because mm-hmm. I'm already good at this I'm just learning but if I'm bad at it I'm just practicing and I kind of think these are just the same thing starting from two different levels of skill uh like your improvement on it sure. like uh like Celeste is a very technical game like you need to get these movement controls down the timing and and things like that but the thing that is the biggest improvement for me is learning how to play the game, is learning how to do not just not just pull off techniques, but also learning the layout of a map. Um, like the the video video games in this style are divided into separate screens. And by knowing what the next screen is, I can actually transition into that screen with speed in order to get through it faster if my goal is to speed run uh however some screens if you uh, transition into it too fast you'll fall in a pit of death and die so that just just becoming used to that and learning that and gaining that knowledge um is a big part of me getting better at the game so i can i can see a difference between um like the the physical skill and the knowledge, but I think you need to practice both because the way I learn how to remember what the next screen is is just by doing it over and over again, and the mm-hmm. way I practice the skill is by doing it over and over again. Um, and one of the, and one of the really weird parts of this, where uh, skill and knowledge uh, coalesce, is I'm thinking of like playing a piano. So when you play a scale. Um, 
technically speaking, there's a lot of ways you can play a scale. You can play a scale with three fingers. You can play a scale with one finger. Um, but if you're going to work with a piano teacher, they're going to teach you to put all your fingers on the piano and then cross your thumb under your hands to hit the last three notes to finish the scale. And that's like the easiest way to make it sound the best. But that's knowledge. That's not a, it's not just a skill. It's knowledge of that skill. If you just sit at a piano, you might be able to figure that out on your own. But also, if you don't have that knowledge, you're going to be practicing the best way you can figure out to play a scale. And the more you practice it, you're going to make that scale sound better. Like, it is going to be smoother. It is going to get easier. But there is a part of this where the knowledge and this, like, it, I don't have a fully fleshed out concept of this, but the knowledge and the skill in this regard are the same thing. And uh, even sometimes uh, being able to figure out the easiest or simplest way to solve a puzzle. Like, uh, if, like if, I get in, if I get thrown into a new screen of Celeste that I've never seen before, figuring out the best way to solve that is a skill. Uh, like Tony was saying about this guy practicing his speedrunning strats in The Last of Us over and over again. It is a skill that this person has acquired to figure out how to do this screen that he knows top to bottom, but figuring out how to do it faster. Without being told how to do it, that's a... It's, it's not a physical skill, but this is a, there's something of a technique here, or whatever word you want to use. So, there are two different words here in skill and knowledge, but they're so... They're so married that I think practice just really... Um consolidates the both of them when I use the word practice. That's well, that's my point of view. So one of the things that I learned in music school was practice makes permanence. Um, yep. <laughs> not perfect. <laughs> just doing something over and over again doesn't make you better at it. It just makes right. the skill permanent in your mind. Doing right. something over and over and improving each time and being uh, metacognizant about what you're doing is what makes you better at something. So... Yeah. I think that, and the thing about comparing the learning the speed run to learning skills in music is that the thing about a video game is the domain of the skill and like the things you have to do to improve are very clear and very clear cuts. Mm -hmm. And that compared to a musical skill, like especially learning voice, for example, it's very unclear how you should be practicing and what skills you should be working on, how you should be building those skills, and ultimately what's going to lead to a higher level of skill. That's why people, when they're learning music or when they're learning instruments, when they're learning to, uh, to train their voice, they need, uh, they need teachers, uh, usually. But right, and for... teachers and books try to you know, solve this problem. But for learning a speed run... Like learning a video game is something for the most part you can work on yourself because the skill that you have to improve on is so constrained and so specific. Uh, there's, only, there's only so many buttons on the controller. There's only so many ways that you can push those buttons. Right. In, in, in a lot of ways, it is, it's a lot simpler than learning an instrument, mm -hmm. uh, I would argue, because just the... The, the number of options you have for what you can do to interact with the tool is just uh, much more constrained. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. And sometimes, you know, speedruns can be complicated. And, you know, when I was going in and trying to learn a speedrun, I was using a tutorial to do that. So I was, in a sense, almost like using a textbook or using a teacher. Right. Not not an interactive one. So in that case, kind of like, you know, like using a textbook. But uh, I was really doing that just to save time. Mm-hmm. Like, I could have gone through and tried to figure everything out myself it, j- it would have taken a lot longer <laughs> is the thing right and but you would have discovered your own strategies to uh decrease the amount of time it takes for you to beat the game but by looking at a guide or having some sort of tutor you're able to be introduced to strategies that weren't readily apparent to you or you just don't have the experience to discover on your own or the tools. So like Alex, when you're doing Celeste, are you using any tools like that in your off time? So like I mentioned earlier, I humans have this bizarre relationship with the internet where now we have all the information in the world, but humans like to figure it out on their own, at least in video games uh, where the stakes are low. We just kind of like, no, this is a challenge or a puzzle. I want to solve on my own. That's absolutely what I'm doing right now with Celeste. It, it's it's <laughs> part of my emotions is I'm a little frustrated because this challenge that uh, is taking me forever and I still haven't beaten this chapter. It's the chapter seven golden strawberry uh, for those who uh, were wondering. I think I made that clear earlier. But anyway, that's what deathless means. Anyway, cut that all out. Um, the frustrating <laughs> thing about the challenge I'm doing right now is I have told myself that once I beat this challenge, I'm going to. Next, record an any percent personal best speedrun of the game up to that point. Uh, because if I can beat all those chapters deathless, then I must be pretty good at the game and maybe I can get through them and just see where I'm at with my speedrunning. Um, but also, the game gets so exponentially harder after this that I am also going to allow myself to you know, start getting advice from pros or watching speedruns for tips and tricks and see how other people do it. Uh, but this is the last thing that I just want to do on my own because it's just part of the main game. I figured out how to do everything else on my own up to this point, And this is the last challenge. I have, an, I have a strategy. I have an idea. Um, I'm very close to being done, but like, I've done it all on my own. I just need to cross this line and I can't cross this freaking line and i'm right there and it's ah it's maddening but to answer your question no i have not used one uh i am okay with using one going forward and my advice to anyone who wants to do this kind of thing is i guarantee you'll want to figure this out on your own and if you do great that's fine but i think it's better to just ask for a little advice or look up just a little information than give up entirely like, I, th- I think it is worth getting that information uh, if the consequence is you're so frustrated and fed up. Like, the answer is usually very simple, and you might be missing the answer for some dumb reason. Like, you just didn't notice it, or you just got used to one other thing that you didn't realize if you just go the other way, this solves a lot of your problems. And the answer can usually just be that simple and that easy, that you really should, you should allow yourself to be open to that. Um... And I'm saying that hypocritically. I'm not open to that right now. Don't tell me how to do this. I'm going to do it. I'm almost done. I'll get there. I'll get there. (laughs) Done Um, at him. Hopefully by the time this episode goes out, I'll be done. Because I plan on doing this all the time. (laughs) Until it, like, 
Would you say that uh, listeners could find this kind of information at twitch.tv slash pixelnoisefm? You can. So what you can find at <laughs> twitch.tv slash pixelnoisefm is, is a full experience of the journey through Celeste after the main story. Because I highly recommend uh, the main story to as many people as possible. It's an excellent platform with a good story. Uh, I don't think it's terribly expensive. It might be $25, which is more dollars than hours it takes to beat the main story. The main story takes about six to ten hours um, uh, on your first playthrough. That's just, it's a hard game. That's a lot cheaper uh, than Sekiro. <laughs> it is a lot cheaper than Sekiro. <laughs> and you can keep playing as far as you want. Like the challenge, uh, they have, there's basically, there's practically an infinite number of challenges for you to do in Celeste as a casual gamer where you can just stop when you hit the wall. Uh, and if you want to try and climb over that wall, the game will work you towards that. A anyway, the important thing is, I'm going through the journey of experiencing Celeste from the point of view of someone who's overcoming these challenges, uh, fresh and new. So seeing how the game teaches you, seeing what to do with that information, is the challenge that I am handling right now. And once I'm th through this next hump, you'll get to see some amount of speedrunning of Celeste that I'll be doing. Um, I'm going to plug uh, twitch.tv slash Mr. Majama. That's M-R-M-A-J-A-M-A. -A -A. Uh, Mr. Majama uh, runs Celeste tournaments and uh, speedrunning tournaments. Uh, and to enter, to apply... You just need to, like, kind of fill out a form. Uh, but you do need a personal best, any percent, run of less than an hour and ten minutes. And the combined uh, best times of all my uh, any percent chapters, because I haven't done a full run of it, but the combined best times of all my any the percent sum chapters. sum of best, if you will. Some of best, thank you. I just, my <laughs> language. Uh, my sum of best is like just over an hour and 10 minutes. So I feel like once I overcome this, and that was ages ago that I, that those got placed. So if I overcome this last challenge, go back to the game, have a dedicated session of trying to get through the game fast. I'm almost certain I can beat that hour and 10 mark. So hopefully pixel noise FM will be coming to Mr. Majama. I'm talking to you, Mr. Majama. He's a viewer and I, he's a viewer <laughs> of our stream. I also watch his streams. Uh, he's a much bigger uh, stream than us so go watch him instead of us but then also go watch us and then also go watch us on his stream doing anyway <laughs> twitch.tv slash pixelnoisefm for more Celeste content and speedruns twitch.tv slash Majama for Celeste speedruns and races between professionals including hopefully soon pixelnoisefm <sighs> the other thing is uh, have you guys seen the Unreal 5 engine demo yeah, uh, you know, I've it's it's crossed my radar a million times, and I've not watched it yet. So uh, it's all on you, boys. I'm did it, did it cross your radar in the in the text message Tony sent that said, "Be sure to watch this before that Saturday." That is one of the ways it crossed my radar. Yes. <laughs> well, I just sent it to you again. Put put it on silence in the background. And just and just look at the because it's all about the visuals. But but I'm playing Stardew. <laughs> stop! Stop! Oh stop God. doing that. I'm doing the show. Uh, I am. I just had a whole thing. Let me fish. <laughs> Let me do my fishing. So, the 
exciting things about this is that they seem to be using uh, new levels of compression to use movie CGI quality assets and textures in designing their environments. Um, You know, like we're, we're all familiar with CGI from movies and how it can be very high quality. It can be very photorealistic, but we haven't seen that in games. And if you haven't really thought about it, you might wonder why, like, like, like why can we render these things in such photorealistic quality in movies, but like we're, we're not even close to that in games. And the simple answer is just real time rendering. And there are several technological advancements that are bringing that uh, sort of rendering to um, live rendered video games. One one of them is the end. A really big one is uh, SSDs becoming standard across gaming devices. So like the fact that the mm. the new PlayStation, the new Xbox, they're shipping with SSDs standard is a huge deal and i feel like not a lot of people have been talking about it but like playstation said in their tech presentation that when they went around and asked developers like what is the like like if you could have anything you want like just blue sky you can have anything you want in the new playstation what's the most important thing to you and across the board big developers said ssd like just this like we could do so much more with games if the if the tr- just the transfer rate of files from non-volatile memory to volatile memory to ram was faster that would just open up so many possibilities so the fact that that's on the horizon and that that and that it's going to become standard because it's been available for a long time in like you know in PC gaming and in specialized expensive rigs but the fact that it's going to become standardized is going to raise the bar for a lot of these things. That's one aspect of it, that the hardware is getting better. And then the other aspect is that software advancements are now being made to, even with more bandwidth, to compress the amount of data that can be drawn and uh, communicated in real time uh, down even smaller. And that's what a lot of this uh, Unreal Engine stuff is doing here. It's taking full, like, like photorealistic 8k assets like just an insane amount of detail they even have one clip in here in the video i'm just scrubbing through yet two minutes and 23 seconds they have this they reveal a layer where they show all of the triangles that are being drawn oh and if you don't know 3d environments are made by uh interlocking triangles basically and it looks just like visual noise. Like it looks just like, like the triangles are so small. The resolution is so high that all of the different triangles, all the different vertices on the 3d environment look like just like little tiny bits of snow or like static Oh wow! because there's so much, uh, there's so much detail in the um, different edges that they can make. So, and and that's all that's all possible in this engine. They also standardize a lot of. They talk about lighting things in this engine, and how when you're going through pretty much any video game environment that you've been through before, a lighting designer had to specifically say, like, come up with a light map for that area, and like specifically define, like, place the lights, and just specifically define, like, 
this light's going to come in from this angle and bounce off this surface at this angle, and it's going to hit you in this way. Right. And that's a ton of work that this engine can just do on its own. Wow. That you can just say, hey, the sun's over here, and the engine figures everything else out, how the light bounces, how it interacts with different surfaces. So with this increased level, with this increased resolution of detail, there isn't an increased tech debt of having to, of the designers having to specify how light interacts with these more detailed surfaces because the engine's just figuring it out on its own. It's just... It's 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 incredible. They also they they talk a little bit about sound as well. You know, a lot of these demonstrations like sound is um talked about in relation to light because I feel like for the average person, for the average viewer like a an increased detail in lighting is going to be much more obvious than an increase in sound detail. Um like that just gets communicated better. And so what they're basically saying is like all this increase in lighting detail uh, is also going to be applied to sound detail that instead of having, like in this demo, they have all these like different rocks and little pebbles falling down. And when they land on the ground, they make a sound that echoes through the chamber. And what they're trying to convey is that like, it's not just a sample of a rock falling and just like playing it over your headphones. Like, it's the engine is figuring out how the sound emits from when the each of those little pebbles hits the ground, and exactly how it reflects off of the exact surfaces and that very detailed geometry of the walls and how it gets back to the ears of the player. It's figuring all of that out and rendering all of that to give like an actual simulated sound experience. So. Like and again, this is all at the engine level, so the developers don't have to do anything to make this happen. The engine just does it for them. Right. This deal about light reflecting off a surface and like reflecting the color of the surface uh, off onto whatever it's bouncing into, like this whole interaction of the physics of light is something I remember the Naughty Dog dealing with in The Last of Us. Like, this was a feature that they wanted. They wanted the light to reflect the surface that the source was pointing at, so they built that, and now you're telling me that that's just gonna happen. This is all automatic now. Yeah, for the most part. I mean, of course, there's, there's like, tweaking that designers have to do. And uh, also, shouting out Play, Watch, Listen again, they, they talked about this um, before we did, and... You know, one of the concerns that was brought up on that show is like, is this going to possibly have negative side effects? Like, is this going to be eliminating any jobs that currently, like any design jobs that currently exist? And it was the opinion of the very smart people on that show that, um, you know, the nature of certain jobs in game development are going to change because of this. Uh, like when a studio uses this engine they won't have to uh, do as much of the specific placing and designing that they had to before, but it's probably not going to result in any actual jobs being lost. Like probably the people in those positions will retool and reskill and be working on, you know, other design aspects that are still going to require 
uh, like that level of human decision making and intervention. But like it is going to be somewhat disruptive in the development pipeline because like uh, it it is it is eliminating a lot of work uh, within that pipeline. Is is it just me, or are we just kind of getting around to the fact that Play Watch Listen is basically us but better? <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're us but more experienced <laughs> uh, no no not more experienced we we let's not give them that they just they just have resources we don't have they have an unfair advantage <laughs> they, they just have the connections yeah it's... they just like 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 uh troy is friends with neil Druckmann. like if neil Druckmann would return my calls then i would have the same connection <laughs> but not fair um, the the end of this demo has this uh, part where the character, uh, they have her fly through the air and like f- uh, cross a very long distance from like from point A to point B. And what they're demonstrating here is again with 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 the power of this engine, uh, with the compression of this engine, and with the solid state hardware, that things can be rendered incredibly quickly. And uh, this is another demonstration in addition to that Spider-Man demonstration that came out a little while ago when they showed uh, Spider-Man running on Marvel Spider-Man running on a PlayStation 5 and how the fast travel would be instantaneous. This is a a second example of that, which is really noteworthy that like with the next generation, uh, fast travel loading times is going to be a thing of the past. Um, oh, wow. just like how mo- most loading time will be a thing of the past because the systems, uh, the, the consoles and the software working together will have the necessary bandwidth to, uh, render these high resolution things, uh, at real time and faster than you can move as the player, no matter how fast, uh, you go. Yeah. So I guess that was kind of my question about this because in, in all honesty, like all the technical talk definitely went way over my head so this is what is allowing that to happen yeah this is this is why like loading screens are theoretically going to be a thing of the past right because is that accurate yeah because of these advances in hardware and software because the cost also of these component these high bandwidth components has come down over time you know all of these things existed back when the playstation 4 came out but they were very expensive and the cost of these things has come down, and so now they can be incorporated into a, you know, whatever, like a $400 video game console standard. And we have these, it, it's very exciting because we have new, I think it's going to result in real new artistic possibilities, I think, because um, players are going to be able to interact with games in fundamentally new ways. Uh, so I am looking at the Unreal Engine five reveal uh this looks f***ing beautiful <laughs> also what does epic have to do with the engine that is a good question i'm not sure i am not sure they didn't make that very clear were they the ones who made this demo maybe it doesn't say anything in the description all i've got is that the uh opening cards included unreal engine after the opening card for epic and it looks like it's taking place in epic games office so yeah so so perhaps they made this demo it wasn't i will say i watched this a couple of times and it wasn't very clear also the first comment the first comment as i'm looking at this is thank you fortnite's kids and your parents credit card (laughs) 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 so i think it's that epic games made this 
demo. Uh, no, it's actually Unreal Engine is made by Epic Games. Yeah. Oh, okay. If you go to epicgames.com, uh, there is a tab for the Unreal Engine. Uh, all this is Epic Games, Unreal. It just, yeah, it looks like they're all the same. So I guess, I guess they own it now. I didn't even realize that was the case. Why was that never clear before? Yeah. Why did we ever argue about how Epic Game Studio is like, you know, n- elbowing their way through the industry when they like made the Unreal Engine? Is this new? Like, this is, I'm missing something here. From what it looks like, the Wikipedia says the Unreal Engine is a game engine developed by Epic Games. So it sounds like they made it. Yeah, the first generation Unreal Engine was developed by Tim Sweeney, the founder of Epic Games. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, in in 1991, looks like. Six, I think. Yeah, oh, in, the, in the 90s, certainly. Okay. Uh, but yeah, Epic Games has been behind Unreal Engine since the beginning. Huh. Also surprising, Epic Games existed in the 90s. Like, what? <laughs> yeah, this is all news to me. Epic Games founded 1991. I had no idea. Me neither. This is, uh, gentlemen, I think we have a story on our hands that we need to dig deeper on and we'll reveal next time <laughs> on Dragon Ball Z. <laughs> I mean, Epic Games is just like the Fortnite to me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's honestly all I knew them from also. Tony, have you watched any of John Boyce's baseball or otherwise YouTube stuff? I said I would send it to you and I never did. So if you didn't, that's fine. So correct. I have not watched it. <laughs> uh, I need to send it to you because the way this guy does journalism, uh, especially like in video format, I found very intriguing. And so much so that it got me thinking like, what if, what what would it look like if I tried ma- making an investigative and ju- journalism piece? Like, what if I was an investigative journalist? What would I do? What could I do? Uh, I, I think this is the story. I think this is what, this is what we need to research. This is our big break, man. This is, this is, this is the, I just saw the word juggernaut. This is the juggernaut <laughs> of Pixel Noise FM right here. <laughs> There's a there's a story that we need to uncover. I thought the juggernaut of Pixel Noise FM's YouTube was the Death Stranding review. <laughs> <laughs> Oof. <laughs> I challenge you. I challenge you to dethrone the Death Stranding review as our most highly produced YouTube content. Dude, I would love to, but I, I'm, I'm kind of wrapped up in this whole Celeste thing right now. Like, <laughs> you won't. You. Won't. Uh, oh God. So say I won't. T- call me a chicken. One more time. <laughs> Freezes, turns around. <laughs> Goes back in time, hits 88 gigawatts. Uh, oh, f- fun fact, Epic acquired Psionics, so Epic owns Rocket League. Huh. And speaking of Rocket League, we're about to be Rocket League pros, am I right? We just need a little more practice. Oh, yeah. Just a little more of that practice knowledge thing. Just like talking about like going forward on the group streams, uh, which you can catch most weekends. Um, we've been playing Rocket League. We've been having a lot of fun doing it. It's it seems like a kind of a perfect game for us because there's a three v three mode, which I can't think of another game. You know. Oh, I got you. <laughs> let us know in the comments if there's another game with a specific three v three mode. Speaking of epic, <laughs> we need to stream Fortnite. Need to. Quote, unquote. That's true. I uh, think... there There's a big update coming. Uh-oh. Um, it was supposed to be, I think, like... I don't remember exactly when it was supposed to be, but it was supposed to be 
sometime around today-ish, but I think they pushed it to next week or around there. But it's coming within the next week or two. Oh, so we can't do it today. Oh. <laughs> I mean, we can still play Fortnite. The game, the game still works. Does it, though? <laughs> I, I, I will don't. say I had fun doing it with Dan uh, when we did it a little while ago. I had a surprising amount of fun doing it. Well, just so you know, um, Pratik, the other guy who was playing with us, he and I do play like most nights. So if you ever feel like jumping in, we're, we're probably playing. <laughs> stream it. You should stream it. <laughs> Give us some evening content. <laughs> yes, that 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 is an option. Could do that. Oh, good. We'll figure that out. I w- I would need to figure out the visual aspect of it. It's How do I? Hard. We'll figure. Uh, it. If I'm gonna play Fortnite, what do I have to do? Do I have to download the Epic Game Store? No, you just download Fortnite. Let's see. Oh, on your computer, maybe. I don't know. Uh, play free now. Official site. Uh, I don't wanna... PC Master Race my behinds. <laughs> <laughs> I don't wanna... Do it. Oh. Dan didn't want to play Minecraft. You owe him. No, gonna, I don't. I'm gonna pull that card. Yes. He didn't wanna... He, d- he did... To, to, to be fair, I actually really yeah, did want to yeah, play yeah, Minecraft. Yeah. I just found out after the fact that I didn't yeah, like if, it. If Dan played okay. Overwatch, you could play that card. But Dan has... I've played Overwatch. I've, I've played a couple rounds of no, Overwatch. No, no, no. With us. With us. That doesn't count. Wh- whatever do garb- Whatever do garbage that. you did in the past doesn't count. We're talking about <laughs> now. With What it counts. This counts mm. now. I, I will play Overwatch with you. I'll do it. This is yet a, this is yet another option of something we can do on these on these group streams. So it turns out we do have options. Who knew? <laughs> Who knew there were video games to play? <laughs> I'd love to play Left 4 Dead 2 because that's a that's Ooh. a game from back in the high school days. That's a a great co-op game that I thought was a lot of fun. It is geared towards four players. You can play with three if you play with a bot. Yeah, yeah, that's um, fine. Which is fine. Fun fact, I do own Left 4 Dead 2 on, on Steam. I'm sure I made you buy it at some point. <laughs> that's probably accurate. 2016 is about right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, do we want to... I, I mean, we, we probably have enough, but do we want to talk about anything else? There's like some mini topics here. There's some stuff that's been in for a couple of weeks, like the Crowd the Airwaves, the Sonic movie. Oh, we should talk about Crowd the Airwaves, shouldn't Zach we? Zach Sherwin. I feel like we should talk about that before we go too much for I feel like if we don't talk about it in this episode, we're just not going to talk about it. <laughs> so we interviewed, we did something that's been, that was pioneering with uh, Pixel Noise FM, twitch.tv slash Pixel Noise FM. Follow us there, uh, where we premiered a band's new music. And I think, and we had a interview that aired afterwards that's exclusively on twitch.tv slash FM. That's not in the podcast feed, mostly because we all cursed up a storm and it yeah. would have been impossible to make it. <laughs> to make or it, very uh, funny. To make it non-explicit. Uh, so that's going to be exclusive to the Twitch. Um, and then we had a Mario Kart party afterwards in which we all got, uh, we all got very silly and we had a fun time, (laughs) uh, with me being mad at Mario Kart. The Mario Kart was surprisingly fun. Oh, 
I was surprisingly bad at it. Wow. Like surprised to I've who? played I've played it before and I I've usually I feel like I'm pretty decent, but this particular game I came in last place like every I mean, time. Maybe maybe this is the actual topic, but <laughs> I don't understand why I'm so ba- bad at Mario Kart 8 Deluxe. Yeah, I like I, that's sort of what I'm getting at. It's like I'm I'm decent. I played it a bunch and it seems like for some like I'm not bad at video games, but it seems like for some reason <laughs> I'm really bad at this game. And I don't and the frustrating <laughs> yeah. thing is that unlike other games, I don't understand how to get better at it. Like the game gives me no feedback. Mm-hmm. I just I don't understand <laughs> what I'm doing wrong and I just do you drift? Yeah, I drift. I do the nope, jumpy thing. I, I get the drift boost. I like that. That's what. Yeah, I did all the things you guys told me to do, and I kept f- coming right, in last me place. Me too. Like I feel like that's just what happens, and I'm like, I don't understand. <laughs> it's not that I'm just like I know what to do, and I need to practice, and I'm not good at it. It's I don't understand. Where's the skill? Like where's the? <laughs> what am I not doing? <laughs> it's a bad game. You heard it here first. <laughs> Like Alex, do you have any ideas here? <laughs> I have no insight. I have no insights here. Like b- beyond uh, the drifting, like to turn to make tighter turns. Um, I really don't know much more about the game. W- without trying to sound like I'm bragging, I I I I had more success than you guys did that day, uh, as far as doing well. But I was also, but I too was being outclassed by other players. Uh, other players, I feel like I shouldn't have been outclassed by. Uh, no bias withstanding, <laughs> but I, and I, and I didn't know how to improve similarly. Like, I don't know what the mechanics are that make you better. This, it just kind of feels like this is one of those knowledge things. Like maybe if I knew the, the track better, so my turns, I could start my turn sooner, or maybe it's the way I had to build my cart. Cause your cart has different statistics based on sure. the wheels and whatever the, f- um, mm-hmm. So I, that's, but I don't know. That's just me guessing. Um, beyond uh, the 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 what's it called? Beyond, uh, beyond the dra- uh, uh I'm I'm tired. Very distracted <laughs> right now. I'm very hungry. I didn't have coffee today. I realized that was the mistake as soon as oh, we started recording. No. I didn't drink. coffee. I know. What How dare you? It's, it's it's it is a problem. I think I'm growing an addiction to it, which means the days I don't have it are like worse. So uh, that's <laughs> that's how I recorded today. But but anyway, but yeah, I can't answer your Mario Kart question. Yeah, so so maybe we need a Mario Kart tutor. But um, but but we we did a we did a premiere party with Crowd the Airways with their music. It was a lot of fun. It was, and I I think it's fair to say that we'd be interested in doing this kind of thing in the future. So if you're listening to this and you have something you want to premiere, uh, reach out to us. Join the Discord link below. Let us know or send us an email. And um, it, yeah. You know, let me, let me put it this way. Let me say this. The Crowd the Airwaves party uh, with the premiere of the music, uh, it was a lot of work building up to that. Uh, it was a big event. Uh, a lot of people came. There was a lot of people. There was a lot of support. Um, so between like, we put a lot of work into it and then we had a lot of fun and also like it paid off for us. Like it was a successful event for us as well. Uh, certainly. And we want to have more successful, uh, streams like this, but it really, it really was a great time. And the response to the work we put in, uh, it felt good. Like that was, it was part of the thing that made it great. Um, and on top of that, the other day we had another really good stream just kind of out of the blue, um, like, while I'm while I'm losing, 
this one level of Celeste while I've been working on this, uh, there's been a lot of support from other Twitch streamers or people that I've just met over the internet. Um, th this whole streaming thing is not what Pixel Noise was about when we started, but the fact that it has become what it is makes it feel really good. Um, and I know that I know I speak for Dan and Tony when I say that we're super appreciative of all the support. Um, personally, I like I've invested a lot of time and uh, energy into this, so that payoff, like for me, it feels really good. So, uh, shout out to the community for helping us and building us up. And you know what? If you do want to check out twitch.tv slash pixelnoisefm, we kind of joke about, joke about it, but. You know, we do have a lot of fun. Like it is it is it is really like a good time. Um and I try and I'm I'm there a lot of the time and I try to make it uh uh chill and interactive and we have music and we have different games and different challenges. So uh check check it out. Like actually check it out. And if you don't like it, that's cool. There's Twitch is huge. We're a very small part of it. Go find something you like. There's a lot to do. Uh, but as our stream is building up bigger and bitter, uh, bigger and bigger, and the uh, we're starting to become more visible, and people are you know supporting us, or it just it it feels great for me, and more and this kind of party, this kind of experience, this kind of fun, uh, jump in, get in there, join us, we'll have fun with it, and we're gonna keep going with it for a while, so. That was my pitch. I just wanted to say thank you and also check out twitch.tv slash pixelnoisefm. There you go. And scene. <laughs> and scene. Ah, my phone vibrated. Uh, I'm. I am hungry though. No, I couldn't. That <laughs> was. That was. That was a yeah. pretty strong end. So good. Good. I'll I take. I think we can. Strong. We can end it there, and we can. We can do with this one being uh, not as long as the last one, which was. <laughs> I don't think the last one was a precedent. <laughs> oh my god! So long. Yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> it took me two full days to edit those two episodes. Jeez. Like, yeah, let's not make a habit. Although <laughs> that bonus episode is really good. I know I couldn't just throw it away. Like, yeah, it was, it was really mm -hmm. good, and it really did kind of function as its own thing. Yeah, I think that was perfect. I don't even think you would. I don't even think you needed to like qualify it at all. Like, if you just released it as is, I think it just would have. I, I think it works just on its own. Um. I understand qualifying it as far as it's like very off topic than what we normally do, but uh, yeah, I think it would have been a little confusing to just put it out and not explain. But uh, it, what I, like whatever the case, uh, it worked on its own. It was really I really enjoyed listening to that actually.